Well, we will start our discussion on Mormonism tonight. We'll probably go uh, two, maybe three weeks, because there's just honestly so much to cover here. And uh, we'll start off with a verse in 2 Corinthians chapter, <clears throat> chapter 13, and verses 3 and 4, and then we'll jump over to verses 13 through 15. The Bible says, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his coming, cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims, what? Another Jesus. Then the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Verse 13. For such men, speaking of those who bring a different Jesus, are what? False apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will correspond to their deeds. So several things stand out from this passage of Scripture. Number one, if someone comes and tells you that the Jesus of the New Testament is not the true Jesus... What should our response be? Reject the new Jesus. All right, and we'll see uh, more more about that. But there's something else uh, in verse. Uh, let's see, thirteen uh, or fourteen, rather, about Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Now, knowing what we know about Satan, he is the most grotesque being in the universe. Right? Here's the one who rejected God, uh, and he became. Every part of who he is, a perverted, twisted being. But yet, why would Satan present himself, if he is Satan, as an angel of light? Deception. Remember that old adage that you can catch more flies with what? Honey than you can with vinegar. Right? Moonshine just kills them. Um, So... uh, But that's something for us to think about when we start this discussion going into Mormonism and then especially Jehovah's Witnesses that cults or a cult that would be defined as something that bases itself saying we have the true trans or the true message of the Bible Christianity that it's not given in like a Marilyn Manson 1980s heavy metal band Satanism you know here's what you need to do is follow the king of the underworld it comes saying this is good stuff for you and your family and that's the way that the Bible says that Satan presents himself so here are a few quick facts about Mormonism Uh, The founder was Joseph Smith, and he is considered a prophet. Mormons are known as Mormons, or officially the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, LDS. And it claims to be the one true church that corrected all of the errors that crept into the denominations. So according to Mormonism, we we are messed up. And maybe they came to a Baptist business meeting, I don't know, back in the day, came to that conclusion. But uh, the headquarters are in Salt Lake City, Utah. And Mormons do not, yeah, no, no caffeine, uh, coffee or tea, no alcohol, no tobacco, and that's from, what'd you say? I thought something. Uh, Doctrines and, and Covenants, uh, chapter 89, verses 1 through 21. And they base that on uh, the idea that God has given us our bodies, and that's a blessing, so therefore it's not wise to 
use things that would destroy our bodies. Which, let me just say this. We are not Mormons, alright? I am not a Mormon. But I do think that the, the wider evangelical world needs to take a step back and say, how I honor God is, in part, how I take care of my body. You know, for me to abuse my body, whether that is through uh, any of these things here, or just letting myself go, or just saying, you know what, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna start using illegal drugs, whatever it may be. That's a spiritual issue as well, because in the evangelical world, we have this idea that I worship Jesus with my mind and my spirit, but physically, I don't have to take care of myself at all. The Apostle Paul says our bodies are the what? Temple of the Holy Spirit. So. That's something that that all of us would do well to just think about. Uh, All good Mormon men give two years of missionary service. If you've had um, these guys come to to your door, and most of them will have the name tag Elder, and they're they're younger guys, right? You know, so it's um, rather interesting there. So they give two years of their life to being missionaries, trying to get you to, as we'll see, become a god. But uh, how many of you have heard of Mormon underwear? Okay. All right. We'll get into this probably next week, but every good Mormon that you meet will have on probably this set over here on the end. But you see the different sets, 1842 and so forth, how the, the Mormon undergarments have changed in form. When you become a Mormon and you go through the temple initiation, these are where some people get the name your magic underwear. All right? You wear these all the time. Okay? So when you talk to a Mormon, when they come to your door, you may ask the question. You can, and you cannot turn them off by saying your garments. Okay? Because they, they don't usually use the word their underwear, but they say, they say their garments. So are you wearing your garment? Explain to me about that. And it's a really cool point that we can... Share the gospel with Mormons because the Bible tells us that we have been clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, right? And there are many verses. We'll get into a lot of the verses next week and the week afterwards. But they believe that in part this is their righteousness. Like they have gone through, they've done their good deeds, they've done their missionary service, they've been inducted into the Mormon faith, and this is a sign. Well, for for us... It's the fact that Jesus has washed our heart clean of sin. He's made us new. So that's just something to say, you know, I don't have to wear that because Jesus is my righteousness. But that's just something that a lot of people don't know. And please don't do a Google search on it. I made that mistake and you find some really messed up stuff. But apparently during the election, there was a lot of satire based upon Mitt Romney. Obviously, he's a Mormon uh, and him and, and his holy his holy underwear. But uh, here are two prominent people that most of us know of, Glenn Beck and Mitt Romney, and they are both Mormons. You guys remember the uh, all of the controversy within the Christian world? In the election, like, will I vote for a Mormon? You remember that? I think it was Robert Jeffries from First Baptist Church of Dallas came out and said, Mormonism is a cult. You know, and he was supporting, uh, I, I think it was, uh, I named just slipped me, governor of Texas, Rick Perry. And so I think that we're going to see Mormonism is a cult, but we need to be very careful in the way that we present stuff. Here's what... One of their most recent apostles said, quote, The nature of the message of the Book of Mormon is such that if true, catch this, no one possibly can be saved and reject it. If false, no one can possibly be saved and receive it. Now that's pretty cut and dry, right? 
You say, well, well, who is this apostle? Something that's not in your notes, but will hopefully be in there next week. And, and I'm telling you guys, this is, this, is, this is probably the most bizarre group that we will study. The Mormons don't believe what we believe, that when you hold your Bible, it is the revelation of God. Genesis to Revelation, and once God gave that revelation, the canon, not with two N's, C-A-N-O-N, or the rule of faith, everything that God has given, is contained in there. Mormons say that it's not finished, but God started it again with Joseph Smith. Alright? So, so when you see statements from apostles, we're just like, a lot of times we think, well, apostle, all you have to do to be an apostle is to have a storefront and paint the name of your church on the storefront window and then put apostle Jeff Robinson. But when they say apostle within the Mormon faith, they literally mean that this person is speaking scripture. Like when he talks, John 3.16, equal par. And even more than that, as we'll see, Joseph Smith claimed that the Bible has been mistranslated. So he was the one to come and mis- or retranslate uh, the mistranslation of the Bible. And that would, that would be kind of a red flag, right? When somebody comes on the scene and says, by the way, your Bible has been translated wrong. I'm the one who can translate it right. Number one, uh, there's just no evidence for that. I mean, there's so much manuscript evidence that the Bible has been translated accurately, but when somebody comes and even says that, say, well, what are your qualifications? All right? You know, number one, are you trained in the languages? We'll see Joseph Smith was not, so forth and so on. So that's just, uh, that's just something to think about there. How did Mormonism begin? So we're going to go back to the beginnings. Joseph Smith was born on December 23rd in 1805 in Vermont. His father was an active treasure hunter, and his mother was very superstitious. If you do any level of research on Joseph Smith, you'll find that he was well known for being involved in the occult. He actually carried around a, like a magic talisman, like a little decoder ring, and through looking at that and looking through certain pieces of glass, he was telling people that he would be able to find buried treasure. And his dad was very interested in finding buried treasure, particularly that of Captain Kidd. Now, a lot of us, we read that and we're just like, I don't even track with that. Think of people that are absolutely obsessed today with UFOs. All right? Okay, now some people will ask, say, well, Jeff, what about UFOs? Do those... Do those disprove the Bible? Here's the thing. I don't, I don't believe in the existence of aliens, but even if there are, it doesn't disprove the Bible. In fact, it's an argument for intelligent design, right? Just one, We even have an article linked on that on the website. And some of us were like, that's just wacky stuff. So people really have serious questions about that. In fact, there are more people in the Czech Republic today that believe in aliens than believe in God. So it's not just something that we see on the History Channel, like, this is great, you know, and it's just, you know, ancient aliens and so forth. But somebody who's just obsessed with, with things that are like that. Um, Joseph Smith was troubled by the many Christian denominations, and then he went into the woods when he was 14 years old to pray about it, and God appeared and said not to join any of those denominations. Now, he said that God the Father appeared to him who was called Elohim. Right? And this was in 1820. Three years later, he was visited by the angel Moroni. And this is not a thing that you need to say to a Mormon, but I heard somebody say that you don't have to do much uh, changing on that name to get moron out of it. 
you know, we just, you know, you don't, you don't want to use that with a, with a Mormon. It's not a way that you can become all things to all men or even gain a hearing. But uh, who gave him the Book of Mormon? All right, we all got it. Young guy, all the denominations are wrong, all of them, all of them. And he gets visited by an angel. Who, who does this sound like? Muhammad. Bingo. Remember Muhammad went to meditate, and except for it wasn't Moroni, it was Gabriel who came to Muhammad and gave him the revelation that completed the Bible. Joseph Smith goes a step further and says the Bible is wrong. Muhammad didn't even say that. Muhammad said, in some senses, it's been mistranslated, but he's saying, I have the final bookend to the Bible. Joseph Smith's like, it's all wrong. I don't have any training in original languages, but I can translate it. So uh, this is where it gets, honestly, really wacky. So if you kind of have like, wow, Jeff, this is far out, it's just because it is. All right. So the Book of Mormon was written on golden plates. Wouldn't that be cool? You go in the woods and there's this angel, I am Aronai. Here is the Book of Mormon. You get these, these golden plates. Now, as we will see, no one ever saw the golden plates except for Joseph Smith. Do you know if, you know, when you join the Mormon church, did they give you the background like this? Did they tell you all of this? Well, they probably wouldn't go into like what we're about to go into, like archaeology, but they'll definitely give you the... The, the, yeah, yeah. They And I, I've never done it, but I would think that they would probably not emphasize the fact that Joseph Smith was kind of like a soothsayer and with involved in magic and occult and so forth. Okay, great question. Have you all heard the phrase, the image is everything? Perception is reality. When you see Mormon commercials, it is presented as the most family-friendly group you can imagine. And when you change the channel, you see, if you're a parent, you're like, Lord, have mercy. I don't want my kid getting up on a reality show like that. I don't want my kid dressing like that. I don't want them smoking that. I don't want them hanging out with people like that. So then when you change the channel and you have Mormons, I mean, they are they are spick and span. They are clean cut. They are polite. They are law abiding. Wholesome. Good word, Lee. They are wholesome. And so if you're a family-oriented person, that is two thumbs up. So you may not be saying, well, what is, what is the, uh, you know, like us, what is the evidential basis for your religion? You know, where are the facts? People are just saying, I want a way for my family to be able to live a moral life and not end up like me or like other people that I know. So that's, that's basically the selling point. The, the perception is that it's, it's, it's a good family group to be involved with. But within the Book of Mormon... It contained, quote, the lost history of Jews who came to the Americas uh, from around 600 to 400 B.C. All right? So Jews came to America. We all tracking with that? Jews from Palestine came to America. It's very, very interesting. Uh, there were the, uh, and I know a friend whose name is it? Jaredites. There were people from the Tower of Babel who came and settled in South America but were destroyed of immorality. And then there were the Nephites, which were the scattered Jews, and the Lamanites. 
And we don't know whether they laminated their name tags or not. That was bad, but I had to say it. All right? That was dead. All right? So we have the Lamanites, and those, they would be, you like that one, Native Americans. And the way that the story goes is that the Lamanites destroyed the Nephites in an epic battle. Uh, thousands upon thousands of soldiers. And you can see this is actually from the Mormon website. This uh, is the Nephites, the lighter-skinned uh, Jewish immigrant uh, who looks kind of, you can tell that the technology uh, for the Nephites are, is progressed a lot further than the Native Americans, but the Native Americans wiped them out. And also, Jesus came and appeared in the Americas uh, and preached himself. Any questions? All right. Um, does archaeology support the Book of Mormon? No. There has never been any evidence of any of these civilizations at all. All right? The civilizations that we find in South America have nothing to do with Judaism. They have nothing to do with any of Joseph Smith's claims. In fact, uh, all of these claims about these epic battles and the civilizations of these Nephites that was very technologically adept, we don't find any of that. He said a lot of it was in New York, and there's never been anything found about that. And furthermore, uh, scholars that go into Native American history and the, these questions have been asked, they say we have no record of that at all. Zero. So, but if you go into the woods and an angel appears to you, and you have golden tablets, then that obviously trumps evidence, right? Now get that? Now, we're about to read uh, about four verses here from the Pearl of Great Price, which is uh, kind of the addendum to the Bible from Joseph Smith. And when we read this, I think that should be in your notes, I want you to think about the possibility of there being some demonism that has crept into here. Listen to how freaky this experience is. Verse 15, uh, Pearl of Great Price, chapter 1. After I had retired to the place where I had previously designed to go, having looked around me and finding myself alone, I kneeled down and began to offer up the desires of my heart to God. I had scarcely done so when immediately I was seized upon by some power which entirely overcame me. All right, now let's stop right there. If you've ever talked to people who have been demonized or demon-possessed or had things to do with the demonic realm, they describe it in exactly the same terms. In fact, that's the term that Jesus described people who would be overcome by demons. The demon sees the boy and it would throw him into the fire, would throw him into water. In other words, this is not a normal... Um, if we want to be... Yeah, if we want to be really, really generous for people who don't believe in God, this is not a normal psychological experience. All right? So he seized upon by some power which entirely overcame me and had such an astonishing influence over me as to bind my tongue so that I could not speak. <coughs> Thick darkness gathered around me, and it seemed to me for a time as if I were doomed to sudden destruction. But exerting all my powers to call upon God to deliver me out of the power of this enemy which had seized upon me, and at the very moment when I was ready to sink into despair and abandon myself to destruction, not to an imaginary ruin, but to the power of some actual being from the unseen world who had such marvelous power as I had never before felt in any being, 
Just at this moment of great alarm, I saw a pillar of light exactly over my head above the brightness of the sun, which descended gradually until it fell upon me. Somebody remind me, what did verse did we read that described Satan as a angel of light? Verse 17, it no sooner appeared than I found myself delivered from the enemy which held me bound. When the light rested upon me, I saw two personages whose brightness and glory defy all description. Standing above me in the air, one of them spake unto me, calling me by name and said, pointing to the other, This is my beloved son, hear him. My object in going to inquire of the Lord was to know which of all the sects or denominations was right, that I might know which to join. No sooner, therefore, did I get possession of myself so as to be able to speak than I asked the personages who stood above me in the light which of all the sects was right. For at this time it had never entered into my heart that all were wrong and which I should join. I was answered that I must join none of them for they were all wrong and the personages who, personage who addressed me said that all their creeds were an abomination in his sight. That those professors were all corrupt, meaning those who profess Jesus as Savior. That they draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They teach for doctrines the commandments of men, having a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. Okay. Any comments? Wow. Wow. In fact, Helene, I put on Twitter that I was studying Mormonism. I think it was yesterday or, or today. And then one of my pastor friends says, he said, I have done that before, studied Mormonism, and I find myself repeatedly saying the word, wow. And I wrote back, I said, I find myself wanting to say other words, but I congratulate you for your spiritual maturity and just staying with wow. But this, this is, in a sense, like Buddha's revelation, Right? Anybody remember the evidence that Buddha had for reaching nirvana, enlightenment? Yeah, he's his own witness. He says, I have reached enlightenment. I have achieved a state of mind. How do we know that Muhammad received revelation from Gabriel? Because he said it. How do we know that this is actually God's message and not a demonic message or just a misunderstanding where Joseph Smith didn't have a lot of sleep because he said so? I think any time that we find the difference between true biblical Christianity and a cult is people who follow Jesus say God has said. Amen? It's here. It's the Bible. A cult leader says, whatever I say or whatever I say it says. And there's a profound difference between that. So what red flags appear in Joseph Smith's spiritual experience based upon what we know God's word to teach? What red flags come up? I saw parts of scripture that had been twisted and meant to apply to his experience. Okay. Right? Like everybody else is wrong. They serve God with their lips, but, but their hearts are far from him. And by the way, the creeds that he said were an abomination, the creed of Christian denominations at that time was centered on Jesus is the Son of God. Come the flesh, physically lived, died, rose again. So if that is the central creed for Christian churches then as it is now, but yet that's an abomination, then that should give us some indication on where this stuff is coming from. 
It's not from God. So how do you know that Mormonism is true? Here's what the doctrines and covenants say in the book of Mormon, chapter 9, verse 8. But behold, I say unto you that you must study it out in your own mind. Then you must ask me if it is right. And if it is right, I will cause that your bosom shall burn within you. Therefore, you shall feel. Now catch that. You shall feel that it is right. And for some of you that have talked to Mormons before, you say, how do you know that Mormonism is true? And some of them will say, because I have experienced the burning in the bosom. So if we just go down to the very basis of it, Mormonism is based on a feeling. Now, how do we know that Christianity is true? Historical events... Things that we even, places that we can go back today and say, here's Jerusalem, here's the old wall, there's Golgotha. You can even go to the tomb that Jesus was laid in today. We base it on historical evidences so that we know that the testimony of the Bible is true. I mean, groups like the Romans and the Greeks, like we know those guys lived. We've got evidence for that. But then it comes... the Bible was written What's that? Just even how the Bible was written over a long period of time and yet it all agrees. Absolutely. Yeah, it's not just one guy, you know, getting these revelations. It's, it's, it's a beautiful tapestry of God using different people in three different continents. And so, I mean, it's just, it's just it's awesome. But how do we truly know that Jesus Christ is risen? So, so it's the witness of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Here's where we need to really dig our heels in because people will say, so you Christians or you evangelical, you Baptist fundamentalists, you, you're criticizing Mormonism for being based upon this feeling, but yet at the very end of the day, and it's very true that evidence leads us to believe that the Bible is true, but it's kind of like you can bring a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, Right? We can use reason, we can use science to corroborate and support that the Bible's message is true. But when it comes down to us actually trusting Jesus, it's the witness of the Holy Spirit to we're convinced of sin, in Romans, or John chapter 16, of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. That's where it comes. So what's the difference then? There's a change. Okay. It's not all about you either. It's our focus on God. Ooh, smackdown. Yeah. <laughs> The difference is that Mormonism says you shall feel that this is right. Number one, they don't have the evidence. Any of the, the, the Book of Mormon, the evidence is just not there. The Nephites and Lamanites and Jaredites, all that, that's just not, it just doesn't exist. But secondly, when God reveals himself, it is God, and God would connect the message that moves us, for example, the message of the gospel, to what God has already given, you see. God wouldn't truly come along and say, I've given you all of the Bible, but the true feeling I'm going to give you over here is to believe that what I've already given you is not from me. So God wouldn't contradict himself. But even further, is Christianity truly based on feelings? It's not. Even when we get that, when we hear that, that gospel message that God uses to bring us to repentance and salvation... That message is not, if we say that it's a feeling, it's really cutting it short. It's an overwhelming sense that God is real and that Jesus is his son. 
But if you're, if you're having a debate with a Mormon on this and they're saying, well, I'm saying that it's a sense or a feeling and you're saying the same thing, say, no, no. Just because there is some, let, let's say we have a hundred bottles of, uh, of Coke, alright? And apparently one of those bottles was filled up with, uh, with Diet Coke. Right? Just because, but it has, it has the, the label, you see. But just because something has the same label doesn't mean that the contents are the same. So you could have false religions all around the world, and we do, right? Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Islam, and those people say, well, I got a feeling from that. Well, just because uh, you got a feeling doesn't mean that it's true. And furthermore, in Christianity, it doesn't mean that, that they're speaking the truth just because we say that we have a sense that God exists. If that makes sense. Soul versus the spirit. Right, yeah, it's definitely a spiritual transformation. Somebody had said something about the fruit, um, and that it's not about us. With Mormonism, when you feel the burning bosom, it's for you to start on the road to godhood. That, that's eventually what Mormons say that we can become. As God is, uh, let's see, yeah, yeah. As man is, God once was. As God is, man can become. So when we come to salvation to Jesus, it's saying that we're not only, we, not only we're not a God, we could never become a God, but we are giving everything that we have, laying it on the altar of the Son of God. Mormonism, this feeling is, alright, start to work, and you may become a God. So it's totally different from point A to point B. That you can earn it. Hmm. Good. Good. Awesome. I think we'll we'll get to that probably next week. See, it's it's the same thing. And just a little precursor: Genesis chapter three, verse five. And Satan said, "You know, the only reason why God told you not to go eat the fruit is because if you do that, your eyes will be open and you will become like God." She ate the fruit. Wanted to become like God. Mormonism says that if you follow our rules, you can become a God. And ladies, there's great news for you if you want to become a Mormon lady. Because once you achieve God, and I'm serious, we're not characterizing their, their position, that when you become, when you get married to a Mormon man, that you will, once you die, if you've been a good Mormon, you will be in charge of your own planets. And you will have this celestial marriage. Sounds nice, doesn't it? And you will be a goddess. Your husband will be a god. Most Christian women say, yeah, right, you know? But you will, ladies, be basically eternally pregnant with spirit babies who will be born with physical bodies here on earth. So once again, there's there's so many parallels between Mormonism and Islam that it's basically heaven is heaven for the guys. And to be eternally pregnant, we'll let the ladies fill in the blank of what that would be. Um, 
So here's, here's basically what happened. Joseph Smith began to teach this stuff, and people in New York didn't appreciate it. They were persecuted. The Mormons moved from New York to Ohio to Missouri, then to Illinois because of the persecution. Uh, he eventually had 27 wives, over twice of what Muhammad had. And there's another website that we're going to look at a small diagram here that said that he had up to 34 wives. But it depends upon if you count um, what we would call affairs. And uh, in Nauvoo, Illinois, uh, there was the Nauvoo Expositor, which was the local printing press that consistently and continually exposed Joseph Smith's many wives. And he eventually uh, got together with his group of supporters and they destroyed the printing press. So, so much for freedom of the press. And uh, here is a website. Uh, We're not going to go through all of the names of these ladies, but those are the names and the ages in which Joseph Smith married these 34 women. So we notice that the youngest, I believe, is 14, and the oldest is 58, and all in between. Um, and well, just yes, yes, yeah. So in other words, stealing a, a woman who has already been married, and there are a number of those. I guess eight or eight or nine. Uh, any? What, what do you think? What do you think? Miss Pat's like sick. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Probably forgot a few anniversaries. <laughs> Poor man. Oh. But, but seriously, though, what, what, if, what if somebody came to you and they said, God has given me, just me, the revelation that all of the other Christian denominations are bad? And the main thought, the main idea for Mormonism is an old adage, and it's that a man's morality dictates his religion. A man's morality determines his philosophy. And that if you have a problem with lust, I'm just going to go on record and say that Joseph Smith um, was not presenting his body as a living sacrifice to God, saying that my physical sexual desires are from God, but they should be expressed in monogamy with one woman for life. He said, I'm going to, in the name of God, in the name of me having the soul revelation, marry all of these different women. And finally, uh, this caught up with him because the U.S. in that time was not uh, politically correct. We're not uh, giving an excuse, obviously, for murder or for breaking the law, but this is simply what happened. He was at the jail in Carthage, Illinois. The jail was stormed by a mob, and Joseph Smith, and notice he is, he is the man in Mormonism, had two smuggled pistols that someone had given him, and as they were breaking into the jail cell, he pulled out those pistols and shot and killed two of his attackers. A little different than Jesus. And his brother Hiram, Hiram was also there. And then what happened is the church divided into two groups, and uh, his one of his widows went back to Missouri. They're known as the uh, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the reorganized group. They claimed to be the true church, and as far as the rest of them, they went with Brigham Young, um, BYU, out in Utah, and um, he ended up with uh, 25 
wives, so he was almost to, to Joseph Smith's number, but he accumulated a lot of wealth along the way too. But here's a question um, that would be good to ask Mormons. And in fact, I looked this song up on YouTube. It is called Joseph the Seer. It's a Mormon hymn, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. Amazing vocalist, right? I mean, just an objective level, they're phenomenal. But here are um, a few of the, the words to that song. This is speaking of Joseph Smith. Quote, He pleads their cause in the courts above. He died, he died for those he loved. He reigns, he reigns in the realm realms above. Unchanged in death with the Savior's love, he pleads their cause in the courts above. The saints, the saints, his only pride for them he lived, for them he died. Thoughts? Basically, that's what it sounds like to me, that he is doing the job that the Bible says only Jesus can do. Even though Mormons will not say that they worship Joseph Smith, even in Hinduism, a lot of times there's there's the official quote-unquote doctrine, whatever people may say that is. But Yeah, right, and in the practical, yeah, it's, it's, it's much different. So we know that Joseph Smith was very involved in occult practices. He was a womanizer, and he never allowed anyone else to see the plates of the Book of Mormon. And he took the lives of his attackers, uh, whereas Jesus willingly laid his life down. You see a little bit of difference there between Jesus and Joseph Smith? I see Jesus as the ultimate sacrifice to where Jesus didn't have two smuggled pistols. He had all of the power of legions of angels who could have wiped out the whole region, the whole world, but yet Jesus willingly chose to lay us down, lay down his life. He says, no man takes my life, but I willingly lay it down. And uh, we will get into the second part about what Mormons believe about God next week. And because um, there's... I really think that if we get into this, we're, we're going to get in and open up a lot more can of worms than we already have. But a statement I, I would give you from Dr. Habermas um, at Liberty, and he's a brilliant guy. He says that Mormonism is the most easily falsifiable religion in the world. Islam is second. In order to show that something is false, Mormonism, I'm telling you all, when we get into it, it is just so... It's crazy. It is crazy. So if you get confused or sometimes you're thinking what, why, how, it's because you're thinking. And so what we need to do is pray that the Lord would help us to be able to know the Scriptures and to be able to use the Scriptures to lead Mormons to Jesus Christ and uh, lead them to faith in Him. But it's, uh, it's very sad. And I'll just go ahead and go on record again saying this. Any man that would use women... Like that. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to trust them. And if you tell me that this is from God, say, okay, well, let me see your life. Let me see your life. And that's, uh, I think we can all see through that. And, uh, certain groups do. Certain, certain Mormons group, Mormons uh, do. And there's actually a uh, little, if you want to do some Google it. There's a, a small war that the United States had with Brigham Young, and there was some uh, some fighting that went on. But then it was around 1857, and then as we know the Civil War starting about three years later that pulled it away. But it w- it was coming to, I mean, an actual because it was American territory, but yet they were in open violation of American law in regards to polygamy. And by the way, it's just something to think on with. Um, 
if you remove or you establish the idea that marriage is not just between one man and one woman for life, that it can be one man and one man or one woman and one woman, legally and logically, you open the door to anything. You open the door to polygamy. So something that the United States almost fought a war over right before the Civil War is something that today, in the name of, quote, equality, which is an absolute um, no-brainer, but we all know that our, our society is shifting that way. We all realize that, right? We can't stick our heads in the sand and say we wish it was like it was back in the day, but it's not back in the day, it's today. But God is stronger, and we have faith that He will do His will. But we're going we're gonna to do as much as we can while we can. We're going to work in the day because night is coming. But Thank you all for, for going through this. I'll pray for us and look forward to picking it up next week. Father, we just are so grateful for the revelation that we have of you through your son Jesus and that we can trust your word. And we thank you for giving us the word in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 that if anyone comes and preaches to us a new Jesus, uh, we are to reject that message because we have the real Jesus. And so we thank you for that and for the grace that is in him. We pray, God, for physical safety for everyone who is here and to just give them wisdom and blessing as they go home tonight and work their jobs tomorrow. We are so grateful for you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.